0: Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more, ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more, got each other on our side, plus all the folks at FRIED, the burnout podcast with Kate Donovan. Welcome to FRIED, the burnout podcast, season five. The goal of each FRIED episode, whether you're an entrepreneur, parent, employee, or otherwise defined, is to create moments of spontaneous healing by ensuring that you feel seen, heard, connected to others, and validated. By doing this, FRIED fulfills its mission to kill the shame, blame, and judgment associated with burning out, and FRIED adds to its original goal of creating a movement to hashtag end burnout culture. Should you need a coach, Fried Coaches are standing by to help guide you through recovery. Book a call anytime by visiting the links in the show notes. Should you need a speaker, you can hire me, Kate, and you can rest assured that your people will have fun and learn about burnout at the same time. In the meantime, I'm ready to give you this week's episode, which will help you heal just a little bit more, starting now. Hello, fried fans. So today we have a little bit of a different scenario because I happened to run into one of the world's top podcasters in an elevator at our doctor's office recently. And we decided within moments, probably about 60 seconds, that we were going to do a podcast exchange. And here we are doing it. So today I am super excited to introduce you to Farnoosh Sharabi. You might already know her. She's an award-winning personal finance journalist with over 20 years of experience helping people master their money. She's the author of several best-selling books, a keynote speaker, and longtime television reporter and host. Her podcast spotlights leading experts, authors, and influencers from Market Cho to Queen Latifah and yours truly about their financial perspectives, money failures, and habits. The podcast is called So Money, and if you are not paying attention to it, Please do, Farnoosh, Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Kate. And yeah, we get it done. We we don't
1: waste time at the doctor's office. And shout out to my CNET Money team. They just brought me in to be editor at large. Well, not just. It's been a year. Time flies. Um, so just wanted to uh, add that. And thank you for the generous introduction.
0: I was so excited to see you because I started listening to your podcast. I was trying to figure out how many years it was, but it was definitely while I was still living in Prague. So we're talking at least 2018.
1: Oh, let's take it back even a little bit. Uh, 2015, I launched uh, January at the start of the year. I decided to launch this podcast six months prior and yeah. decided that I was going to do So Money on a daily basis. Biz, uh, schedule like literally Monday through Sunday, because uh, I was like, we "Want to talk about way, out,
0: pod right? fade?"
1: But I, I, you know, I'm not. Listen, you're talking to the woman who was a TV news journalist producer in her 20s. I worked with some of the most intense people on the planet, including Jim Cramer, who runs you know the Mad Money show on CNBC, and high strung anchors and it, uh, it was just like, sure, let's just do this because we know what it's like to overwork ourselves. And I I would change the way that I launched the show. Now it's three days a week. I have you know, I have found my happy place, but it was important to start out, I think, with a bang for me because there's something about failing fast that I've learned is is very important,
0: especially if you want something to be long-term success. That's really interesting. And I'm going to take that failing fast into something that we talked about just before we started recording. I said, you know, I don't really know if you have a burnout story. And you were like, I'm not sure either. And then you told me this. Yeah. In,
1: I want to say around 2019 or so, 2018, 2019, I was approached uh, by two lovely women very accomplished in their fields who wanted to start a an events company well more than just an events company but like a financial empowerment business for women and our first activation was going to be a an experience like kind of candy uh, utopia you know those candytopia <clears throat> sort of like candytopia museum of ice cream museum of pizza the museum of sex like all of these like really cool ticketed events that people go to for you know the Instagram photo opportunity, but also maybe to have fun and and learn, and and we wanted to do that. But money, and specifically money for women, and it was called Stacks House. And I, I want to go flattered. there. I know, like <laughs> it, it you know. So I'm going to tell this story, and I'm going to tell you that the stressful part of it, but you truly, like it was a remarkable opportunity. And I don't know if I would, I would do it differently a little bit, but. Uh, knowing what I know now, but it was a spectacular launch. We actually ended up doing it. It was in LA. You, you know, you can go online and check out the photos, but behind the scenes. And I think all my, my co-founders would agree. It was uh, a daily fire that we were putting out. Um, we ended up working with this production company that took us for a ride. We had to, uh, quit working with them midway to the launch date, lost all that money. Later on, and had to sue them, didn't get the money back. We scrambled to find a new production company to get us to open doors because we had a lot riding on this, not just people expecting us to open, but brand partners who had invested in some of the builds. So we couldn't go to them and say, actually, we're going to delay this by six months. You know, <laughs> They were like, this needs to be a, a spring launch. And we had to follow the promises that we'd made our, our clients. And I'm a financial expert. I am good with communicating money to the masses. And that's what I was brought on board to do. But very quickly, as you're running a business, you have to wear all the hats. And so I was literally like trying to source the mechanics of the different things that we needed, like a mechanical bull to skin and turn into a piggy bank. I needed to You know, quickly learn about what it takes to staff people for your business and uh, social media that I would, you know. And so every day, like I said, there was something going on that we had to address and usually under duress. And on top of this, I'm a mom, I have a family, I have my own business. And similarly, my co founders also had their own things going on. And so we thought that this was going to be some sort of like, Not a head, not a light lift, but we did not expect it to be the firestorm that it was. And I remember close to the launch, uh, we did end up opening the doors, but I was. Trying to go to bed and I just couldn't. My heart was just pounding. My scalp was itching. I had a flaky, flaky scalp. I thought I was starting to get allergic to some to the shampoo, but no, it was stress and my body was yelling at me. I remember picking up a book called The Upside of Stress because mm. I was like, I need to learn how to live with this. I don't think this is going away. And, you know, long story short, it ended up being successful in some ways, people came, we got tons of media. We felt like we, we, we came to, we did what we set out to do. Uh, but financially it was a disaster. And we ended up as a, as the three founders, you know, losing money. Um, A lot of it because of this production company that Uh, basically um, shook us down and took our money and disappeared. And uh, we were like even going to go for a second round. We were already ready. We were pitching. We had the decks out to try to get this into New York and we had brands interested. And then the pandemic happened. Mm. And do you know what? I was so happy for that reason, because it was like, well, we couldn't. I mean, if you were an events company in the pandemic, I don't, you know, unless you pivoted to a virtual uh, business, which we were not able to do and are interested in doing. So it was the sort of thing where life circumstances just made the decision for you. And I'm so grateful that um, it happened the way, I mean, look, because I was too much of a coward probably to say to my co-founders, I'm out. I think we all wanted to be out, but we didn't know how to
0: bring that to the table. Uh, There's we- so much in this. Right. There's a lot to unpack in here because it's one thing that it's like, first, oh, here's this kind of fun side project. It'll be awesome and it'll be fun. And then you realize it's not, not so fun. And it didn't, it worked, but didn't, (laughs) you know, like, and, and so let's do it again because we're already on a roll. Yeah. Like, well, you know, part of it, Kate, was that,
1: there was an optimistic side of it all where every time something would fail and when we would fix it, I was like, look at us. We are yeah. fixing all these problems on the fly, on the go. Like we are definitely the three best people to pull this off. And you don't even you had that- to
0: read a book about getting better at being really stressed out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was like, this is a sign we have to keep going
0: because we're just really good at tackling all this bad stuff. So that's we should do more of that. <laughs> well, and I think the reason that I honed in on this part of like, well, this is this is a lot of stress and it's not going to go away and I have to learn how to deal with it. Part of that is sort of burnout prevention and recovery. Burnout prevention, recovery are different, but that's something that sort of straddles both sides. And sometimes you do need to improve your coping mechanisms to a degree, but we have a hard time. Knowing when we've crossed the line. Because I think of those successes, like I've been crossing the line for so long, but I'm putting the fires out. So it should be okay. Be like, right. what do you think it would have taken? And I know this is speculation, but what do you think it would have taken for you to walk away had the pandemic not happened and this continued? I think it would have had to well
1: <clears throat> one thing that could have happened was which would have not happened because he's too nice is my husband saying this can't work out for us any longer because it was yeah. stressing out him too you know yeah. it was like it was definitely not just this isolated experience it was um it was we wanted to um you know we couldn't financially keep going the way that it was you know i mean yeah. the, the way that we rationalized doing another round was we're only going to do it if we can raise all of the money ahead of time we're not going to try to take out any more credit we're not going to do any we don't have any personal savings left to support this and so um there was sort of part of me that was like well i mean it, it, i don't think that's going to happen but let's try for it and you know so i i think it would have ultimately um, figured itself out and I wouldn't have had to, you know, do say anything, but I think it would have been an ultimatum from my spouse who may have, who I want to give everybody out there who is a partner, like this piece of advice, which is that don't be a passive bystander to your partner going through hell. Um, I think my husband, um, just, I think I played it off. Like I got this, And he probably didn't know the extreme that I was experiencing. And, and, and I think, you know, our marriage suffered through that a little bit. Uh, and I knew that. And, and to be honest though, like it was such a reckoning that that summer, the following summer, so this was a spring execution. And then, uh, and then, you know, the summer months are rolling around and I'm thinking, uh, Like what are we doing? You know, like I started to question a lot of our life's choices, including where we lived and including, I wanted to make life easier. That was kind of what I walked away from it. I was like, not only is this going away and that's going to make life easier, but how else can I make life easier for us? Because we really need to almost, you know, decompose so much from this. And we ended up moving out of the city. Um, And because I, I also wanted to, what happened was when you are paying all these debts back for this, for the side project uh, (laughs) slash business, fortunately we, you know, we had the means to do it and I didn't have to, you know, sacrifice like our necessities to, to pay back these loans uh, that we had taken out. But you start to really, look at your finances differently when you start to see just how one bad mistake or one bad guess or one sort of plan that didn't go your way can deplete your bank account, uh, yeah. right? And this is like, yeah. what, what, whatever, a lot of entrepreneurs take this risk, but... And I kept billing this as like, well, I can afford this risk because I have savings in the bank. But you know what? When that project was done, I couldn't afford any more of those risks. Yeah. And so I just got scared, honestly. But as I have always thought of fear, it's like a tool. You know, what is this fear telling me? And uh, it was telling me like, maybe you need to reorient your financial life where you're living in New York and you and your husband work a lot and you make healthy salaries. but it's still a struggle. Like yeah. not that paying our bills was a struggle, but life was a struggle. Like this, this the streets of where we were, like were are crummy. The schools were not great. I, I just like, why are we here? It was great when we were younger and single and didn't have kids, but now we have a family and we have a future. And you have a 3% act. New York city tax. Oh my God. girlfriend! Pay. Yeah. And like we, just moving out of the city saves you so much money. It really does. And I, That was a reckoning because I had it in my mind that, you know, success equals uh, living in New York, you know, Mm. I, I, as, and yes, for a while that was, but I think you should give yourself permission to
0: change your definition of success. We talk about that a lot around here. Mm. Changing your definition of success is one of the key factors in creating a burnout proof life after you've recovered. Because you can't go back to the system that you were in. You are not going to build enough resilience to live in that system as it is, unless some of it changes, right? So I had a client recently who um, shifted some things at the workplace and had a sit down with the owners. And it was a, a, a corporate office, so not the owners, the board. And they literally shifted the entire way the office works. He would not have survived that without making those changes. The thing that I'm thinking about now is there's a huge loss of income portion of the burnout story. So for entrepreneurs, it happens because you don't have enough energy to meet your client's needs. You don't have enough energy to work as much as you want. So you just start making less money because there's less things available to you and you're completing less projects. Mm-hmm. So you have a loss of income there. And then if you're on the corporate side, maybe you're taking, you know, a leave. So maybe you're getting 50% or 70% if you're lucky, or maybe you have to quit because you can fun- like you can't function anymore. Right? So we get into this place where the risk of leaving your financial safety is the thing that you need to do to recover from burnout, but you can't afford to do it, which brings on additional financial stress. So what I usually tell people is we need to create a strategic exit strategy Mm -hmm. for you. What would that look like, do you think, from a financial standpoint? dot com forward slash pride. i know well, it's, of course it's going to be different because every single person has a different story and you know uh, so we have
1: done stories on this at cnet money and i have interviewed a lot of people uh in, in the pandemic who have left work for uh during the pandemic um, for obvious reasons, you know, burnout or even just to take care of their family because they couldn't do both. And yeah, certainly there's this cohort who they have savings or they have a partner who brings money in. So there is that financial stability. They can feel confident quitting without another job to go to knowing that um, they'll be okay. Then there are those who quit and they don't have maybe the six months of savings and they don't have a partner who's making enough or any, a partner at all who can bring in some money. So what do they do? They find like an easy job, uh, a, a thought, like a, almost like a brainless job, you know, just to sort of, I mean, maybe they have a couple, a little bit of savings, but they obviously pare down their expenses and then they go find an hourly gig or something that is not as intense that is really just their temporary occupation to to address their necessities like it's just going to be an, you're not you're not working this job to get promoted you're not trying to build a career at this place you literally are just trying it's an office job or whatever you just want to clock in and clock out so that you can go back to really dedicating time on your mental well-being and and and, and health um, it it affords you not just a little bit to make ends meet, but also the time and the attention span that you need to focus on your burnout recovery. And that's what they do, you know, and, um, I was just talking to my friend last night, who's a career coach, and she gives her clients the same exact advice, especially those clients who have been at a job for decades. And that's the hardest, I think, to leave those folks who have been at a career or a place of of work for so long, they feel really loyal to this place. They're heralded as like these, you know, the OGs of the office. And there's an identity aspect. Such an identity. There. And they're just maybe tired of it. And they feel like they haven't, because they've been at this very re- repetitive job, that they haven't had a chance to really grow. And so maybe it's not a lot of burnout that's fueling their desire to leave, but nevertheless, they want to leave and they don't know how financially to make it work. So then she suggests to them, just get a job at Target, get a job at the
0: local reception desk. Literally, we literally had someone yeah. in our Facebook group say, you guys know seriously, I work at Target right now. And it's yeah. wonderful. Like we've had people do that exact Exact thing. And then, but then I have some people also that have asked questions a few times in the group about, like, I'm about to get a pension if I can just stick it out for another seven years. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you're, you might get a pension, but you might be in the hospital by that point. Like burnout is not, you had this, these initial sort of really big stress signs, the insomnia and the itchy scalp and this kind of stuff. Right. But that keeps going. Your body continues to break down. It doesn't get prettier over time. So I sit there and I'm thinking, you know, I, I kept working while I was recovering from burnout because I couldn't afford to not work at all. I cut down my hours, but I was still working. And I don't know what to say to people that are like, well, if I can just stick it out four more years, seven more. I'm like, do you know how much time four and seven years is? Yeah. Like a long time. That's a long time. But also a pension is a kind of security that, not everybody in this country is waiting. It's like, uh,
1: I I really liked what you said on my podcast when we were talking uh, about this, which is that when you are burnt out at work, maybe the response is not to quit, but rather have you even had a conversation with your manager? And so you don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater. You don't have to think, well, my only option is to quit and lose everything that I've worked towards Uh, that. Maybe there is, um, they can take a load off your plate. They can re put you on a different team. Um, There's no reason why if you're especially somebody who's been at a company for more than five or 10 years that they're having you do a lot of task work. Like you should be the thought leader in the office. You should be the one that's, assigning the tasks, not doing the tasks. Yeah, you the people think, that I That's was, not a good to- use of your time.
0: Yeah, the people in this particular, like, for these questions that have come up, they're like, they're policemen. They're post office workers. Like, they don't have a lot of autonomy. There's right. not a lot of change that they can make. So they are a little bit pushed into a corner of like, either ride this out or let go of this idea of having this pension for the next- I know it's tough. I always feel like you're going to make more money. That's why I always say don't, don't, bank yeah. don't bank on the pension. Don't bank
1: on the pension. Get that IRA opened. Yes. Get that 401k also. Yeah. Because a pension is not guaranteed. You may not even want to leave and the company goes bankrupt or decides. Yeah. I mean, the federal government. Has state level at the state level. There, some states are having a difficult time paying out their pensions. I mean, this is not completely impossible, yeah. and so you need to always be doing some a little extra on the side to cover your bases. But I know that's better said now. You know, in hindsight, yeah. yeah. When you're in it, it's like do okay, start thanks, twenty Farnoosh. years ago.
0: Yeah, <laughs> start twenty years ago. But I do think that there's something to that anyway. Like if you can start, say you say, all right, I'm going to give myself a year and I'm going to, I don't have a ton of extra, but I'm going to put in everything that I can and start this other retirement account. Then at least if you make the choice to leave at that point and you've done everything you can in the meantime to work through whatever, whatever portion of the burnout is your own internal stuff. You get to the end of that year, maybe you're like, well, you know what? I think I can build this up. Or you're like, oh, I'm kind of okay here. So giving yourself that option and, and understanding what to do with your money in the meantime mm-hmm. is not a terrible idea. This is a big issue for entrepreneurs. Yes, because
1: especially early stage entrepreneurs yeah. uh, and the the most stressful years in some cases, um, so it is important to work towards a, a place where you have financial runway. And this is not just burnout advice. This is no. like
0: all like all
1: entrepreneurs. Here's the thing, too: we often glamorize those entrepreneurs that took a lot of risk. They cashed. They they maxed out credit cards. They lived in a shoebox. They didn't eat for for two years, and then they launched. You know, a unicorn tech company, yeah. and that is, you know, not the norm, and should not be what is glamorized. Um, most entrepreneurs start by first securing their personal finances, and then starting the business, um, because their business has no life if they don't have if their personal finances doesn't have oxygen. So don't think you're failing if it takes you an extra year or two to get that business running because you're first focused on controlling and and growing your own personal financial health. And um that's that's the takeaway that if it takes more time it takes more time. We're not here to we're not you're not you're not in a race with anybody. Um and
0: oh, but everyone feels like they yeah, are. Yeah, they do. They?
1: But you know, uh, this is a a, a per, maybe not the same thing. But I will share it anyway. So I'm writing a book, and it's coming out next year. And it's been, uh, it'll by the time it comes out, it will be years since I you know submitted the draft and all of these revisions and everything. And my editor said to me, and she's very experienced, Simon and Schuster editor. She's like Furnish. If there's one, um. If there's one characteristic of books that are successful, it is that they were not rushed to market. Mm. So the best thing you can give your book is time. And I know a lot of authors feel like their book's message, there's an urgency to getting it out in the world. It's not gonna be relevant. I mean, yes, if you're writing about uh, current events, uh, perhaps if you're writing a, a news angled book, but if you're writing about If you're giving advice, if you're talking about, you know, the human condition, it is eternal. The human condition
0: isn't going anywhere. Exactly. (laughs) And
1: so giving yourself that extra year to line up your ducks and because so much of a book, book success hinges on the plan right? To market it, to get it in the bookstores, to promote it. And the more... To, like I have a year now. So I'm like, I have a year to become a TikTok star. And <laughs> you better believe I'm going to give it my best shot. because that's a,
0: you know, I mean, you,
1: you're good on reels. So I, you're, I think
0: you'll be fine. I got to get with the consistency though, Kate. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. Because tough. entrepreneurship and doing all of these things and wearing all of these hats is a lot. I just had... Uh, my like financial situation is really complicated because I lived in in Europe for so long. And there you pay into basically like a social security. And so I did that for 12 years, but I didn't do other things because I was paying off a United States based student loan that was $100,000. So I was dealing with that in the meantime. And then I got home and I was like, oh, my God, I'm almost 40. I don't have retirement savings. You know, I did like, and then, and then I was starting a brand new business in a brand new country all over again. And that's not, you're not taking money out and putting it in retirement savings those first few months, because you're like, I don't have $20, get away from me, you know? (laughs) And so- (laughs) nagging me. Yeah, stop nagging me, I don't have $20. And so this year, my accountant, I sent her my tax paperwork last year. I finally had like a solvent year, you know, like we're doing okay. And she said, well, if you put this much money in your IRA, then- you know, you'll save this minor amount on your taxes, making my bill three times what it would have been if I just paid the taxes. And I was like, but I have to do that because I need to get this ball rolling. And now I'm still catching up from that. Yeah, but right? I'll tell you- So what, it's like I, this, yes. this, this game always of like, and people are like, you're doing so well. I'm like, uh-huh. Yeah, but it's better to, <laughs> better to be catching up than to yeah. be at a standstill. Right, so there's and- some action happening. This episode of Fried is sponsored by our partners at Culey.ai. If you're struggling to make healthy changes in your workday that will lead to long-term well-being, I might just have the solution for you. Culey.ai uses a combo of your input plus magical AI technology to help you build healthy habits into your calendar, Slack, or Teams for as little as the price of one fancy coffee a month. By syncing with your calendar, learning your habits, and using its customized formula, Culey will send you break notifications at convenient times throughout the day, reminding you to do things like take a walk, eat your lunch, drink more water, and more. By learning your schedule, Culey will cue you when you actually have a moment to take action. When you're burnt out, making changes can be hard and feel overwhelming. Culi is designed to make it easy and to move with you through your burnout recovery journey. To get started with a 25% discount, head to qliai forward slash fried.
1: We're living longer. Retirement is not 60. Yeah. It's, it's not even 70. I yeah. hope to be working, and I'm using air quotes, for as long as I want. Yeah. And who knows how I'll feel in my 60s. You know, I yeah. think if there's always a potential to bring money doing what you enjoy, I'm going to go for it. And yeah. I think that's a cultural shift. That's a paradigm shift partly out of necessity because people just need to be continuing to work longer, but also because of where we are as a human race. We're living longer. We have better health care. We're identifying cancers earlier and getting the treatments. And so disease, while it's a big problem, it's still, it's, it's gotten better. It's gotten more manageable, um, depending of course. But all this to say that when you feel behind in your 40s don't let that discourage you from just continuing the good work of putting the consistent money into that bank account, into that investment account. Um, Yeah. Because it is never too late. I know that's such a, you know, blah statement, but it really, I know, yes, if you started in your 20s, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. More power to you, but it, it doesn't uh, but mean I that started, I always lost. Yeah,
0: but I was midway through my twenties with a hundred thousand dollars in student loan debt. So that was yeah. not, that was just not and, an option. And, and charging $30 for an acupuncture treatment in the middle of Poland, you know? So oh like, this gosh. is not, we were not in the kind of, it, the balance just wasn't there. It just was what it was. And this brings up for me this sort of like, I feel like I'll work as long as possible too, because I do things that I enjoy. And but there's you know we're in the midst of this like massive fire movement right financial, financial independence retire, retire early, early. Yeah. and you are like not that was what you just said was like no do do what you can well i will be, i will i will call them out and say oh, that okay. you know yes. here's the
1: thing i think there's a lot of definitions of yeah. what it means to truly be living that fire life and yeah. what often gets disguised is that these folks are continuing to make money. It's just that what they define as FIRE is they're not tethered to a corporate life. They're in the driver's seat of their career choices and their money-making choices, which is a retirement from this kind of traditional worker life that we all grew up thinking we need to follow. And it gets... I think the message gets mixed along the way that, oh, fire means you arrive at 45 and you just sit on a beach.
0: I would be so bored.
1: Which some people will say that's what they're doing, but I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, unless you are a Paris Hilton, like even Paris Hilton's continuing to work, you know, yeah. so like, because, and and I think that there's a, it's not a healthy message to be like, work is bad. You know, I think that also gets, gets sent out there that, you know, to to live a a fulfilling life. It's all about hanging out (laughs) and, you know, never having to check your watch. And I think that that, I think as humans, we want purpose. Yeah, We are driven by purpose. We are driven by goals and I'm an achievement oriented person. That's my personality type. And so don't tell me that Uh, my dream is not to retire on a beach at 40. I like to go to the beach sometimes during the years when I'm in my 40s, but that's not my way of life. And that doesn't mean that I'm not successful. and That doesn't mean that I'm not financially independent. Yeah. If I wanted to retire at 50, I could probably figure that out. I'm 42 now. I could probably reverse engineer it, but I'm also concerned about how I'm going to get health insurance between 50 and 65. Because we thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> unless you move out of the country, in which case it's or having, my husband continues working and I just sit there waving at him drinking yeah. a Slurpee. You know, <laughs> that's not going to make for a happy marriage. You keep working so
0: I can get my mammograms paid for every year. Yeah. I mean, this is one of the things that my husband and I have discussed quite a bit at some point. Um, should we decide to work much less or in a different capacity, that would likely go back to Europe in in those years simply for the healthcare. Yeah, simply for well, that and also aspect. everything else let's be honest Kate. I <laughs> mean, listen. <laughs> I spent 12 years there. There are so many wonderful things about Europe. So many wonderful and of course uh, Europeans get annoyed when Americans say Europe. So I lived specifically in the Czech Republic and Poland and both of them have a lot of wonderful things in them. Um and yet there is a convenience to this country mm-hmm. that is just called dropship. Yeah. <laughs> oh. It's even just certain things that are like not available that you don't think of. Like I was at my sister's house when I first got here and she opened a, a can and then she took out, you know, a can cover, like a plastic pre-made can cover and slipped it on top and threw it in the fridge. Like Instead of using saran wrap, or or putting it into a Tupperware, or it's a different to, pace. It's, it's just a different, different pace. Yeah, it's just a different style. And for right now, like this is the better style for us. We are in our prime money making years. We have energy to spare. You know, we we want to play and push it and see what happens and sort of go through life. But when I'm sixty five, seventy, I might not want to be paying. United States prices for unless uh, all sorts of shit changes, but that's a whole separate conversation. So I think a message behind a lot of what you said today is no matter if you're working on your own or if you're in some sort of corporate or organizational structure, spend a little bit of time creating a sense of financial security for yourself. I'm not saying become a multimillionaire. Just start figuring out a system that works for you that can add to your base level of like sort of feeling safe so that you don't have to make every single decision based on like how much money you're going to get paid next week if you do X or Y or Z, even -hmm. though that's still going to be a factor.
1: You'd be surprised how much just a couple thousand dollars in the bank when you were at zero changes the dynamic. California did a study recently. They gave uh, certain uh, Californians $500 a month. Mm -hmm. And as an exercise, I mean, just to see how much it moved the needle for them and to use their words, life changing. Yeah. Yeah. An extra five hundred dollars a month, it meant for some households being able to get out of student loan debt faster. For some, it meant being able to eat better. For some, it meant um, not having to be so stressed about working that extra shift or ten shifts that month. Uh, giving their kids, you know, a better childhood, more access and resources to things. Um, you know, and five hundred dollars a month is. I think something that we can all strive to accumulate on the side. And I did a story about this where depending obviously on your schedule and your interests, there's something for everybody, whether that's like pet sitting or taking care of Kids or elderly in your neighborhood, refurbing sidewalk week, furniture, refurbishing yeah. things, um, renting out your equipment. So we don't own a snowblower or we didn't own a snowblower. We recently invested in one. And for the first winter, um during COVID, I, I just I was like, if I just knew my neighbors you know i'm gonna go knock on my neighbor's door and ask him to borrow his snowblower for because it costs three to four hundred dollars to have somebody come plow your driveway in our town yeah and i'll pay i'll pay a hundred dollars to borrow your snowblower and do it myself because also snowblowers cost upwards of you know eight nine hundred thousand dollars maybe more so if unless you live in somewhere where it snows all the time it's hard to make that investment. So that's just one example of like, you're probably sitting on stuff that you could either sell, you can rent and it's not a job, right? You can make your teenager do it. I had just interviewed a mom who's got kids of all ages and she was looking to make more money or save. And I was like, how old's your oldest? She said 14. I said, give him your phone, send him around the house, taking photos of the things that, you know, just start with his stuff that he wants to get rid of books, clothing, sneakers, um, tennis rackets, whatever. And, and start there because Facebook marketplace is having a moment. It's having People a moment. Cannot, you cannot get stuff from retailers to your house with, you know, as we have been used to it's, you know, especially if you've got furniture, the woman who, um, I was here talking to a friend. She knows the head designer, former head designer of West Elm. She recently left. The queue time to get a piece of furniture from West Elm is months, three months. Yeah, depending I Depending obviously on the, the piece of furniture. So if you have something with a West Elm label, a Pottery Barn label, a Restoration Hardware label, Crate and Barrel, all these like, you know, yeah. trendy, put that on Facebook Marketplace first. I think you'll shore up that at 500 bucks pretty quick, at least for the first month.
0: Yeah, at least for the first month. And there's always more stuff. There are a, quite a few um, forums on Facebook about like how to find an extra couple hundred here, a couple hundred there. That, Of course, there are going to be places it, in the US and in the world where that, that's not feasible, but there are a ton of places where that is feasible. And there's so many ways. I've been watching refurbishing videos, not because I need to spend my time or money on tools and things like that. But she did the calculation, which didn't include the price of the tools because she already had them, but she did a calculation and she turned around about $46 an hour. Wow. Right? Like 46 bucks an hour and she, she did a good job. So she really fixed, she didn't just paint, she didn't slap some paint on it and throw it back on. She really cleaned it up and fixed it and did all the things, but like do that once a month. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think we don't often talk about earning more as much as we do how to save. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd much rather, because again, maybe it's just my personality. I'd much rather think about extra revenue streams and how to cut out ten dollars here, twenty dollars there, fifteen
0: dollars there. Yeah. Um, that's just maybe that's just me. I like it, and I just want to remind everybody that when it comes to burnout recovery, in order for your nervous system to come back to uh, an easier slide between parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems, which is what you need to feel good again. You sort of get stuck in sympathetic and and you're not sliding between one and the other easily. In order for you to do that easily, there has to be a sense of safety available to you. Mm -hmm. And part of safety is money. I don't care if you think that we shouldn't, well, money isn't everything and money doesn't. uh, (laughs) Part of your safety, whether you are consciously aware of it or not, is money. So much of it. Yeah. I would take what you just said and
1: multiply that by five. Money. When I was a little girl, I thought two things equaled freedom. And I don't think I was wrong. Money in the bank and a driver's license. (laughs) Okay. Because you can
0: go anywhere you literally
1: determine your your destination, you are in the driver's seat figuratively, literally. And as a grown woman who lived that and and was very aspirational to become um, independently, financially independent. And can I say, you know, by some measures, yeah, we're, we're wealthy because, you know, looking at like the average, you know, income in America, we're, we just do where than we that. live. Yeah. Just, he, just, just where, where we code. live. Yeah. Right. So we're very privileged. Um, and, you know, part of the reason I was so determined to get to this point was I grew up within a household where I saw my mother and my father argue about money a lot. Mm. Uh, my mother, usually the conversation was, I don't have any, and my dad was like controlling it because he mm. worked and she didn't for some years for the beginning years. But it was very, my, I learned from my mother's own modeling. She got herself through school. She found that job. She, she was always in a, in a state of making some money and she had no shame as far as what to do. Like yeah. she would go work at the Lancôme counter and yeah. then she would also go work at a bank. And then she would also go work as an engineer at, at a software firm because she has a degree in computer science, but whatever she was like, I always need to have my own stash. Yeah. I learned that early on in my marriage and, you know, she would take me to the layaway counters and the department store counters where she'd pay off her credit card bill. And it was very important to her. And although she was never the breadwinner and she, she definitely depended on my dad for a lot. It was a modeling that I'll never forget. And I saw other moms in our friend group and our families that were completely dependent on their husbands. And I saw how that could easily slip into not just financial dependence, but financial abuse. Yeah. And
0: yeah. We want to talk about
1: lack of safety. Exactly. So don't tell me that money doesn't earn you safety, that it it at least buys you the opportunity to make choices for yourself that nobody mm-hmm. else can enforce. It gives you agency. There's so many examples of it in our culture. Uh, anyone who says money doesn't buy you that stuff, I, I need to talk to this person. <laughs> I need to understand where this person's coming from.
0: I mean, I'm with you. I, I think that it's... When people are faced with this uh, sort of decision, they're burnt out, they don't have a lot, they, they're not sure what they're going to do, they don't know how to heal, they don't want to invest in a coach because they're not sure if it's going to pay off. It doesn't matter how many testimonials you put out there. You know, it's, it's, it's scary to make that kind of investment sometimes. I, I get that. And so you're not sure what's going to happen. It's like people, the encouragement that people give each other is like, Oh but you'll be so much happier if you aren't attached to this job or you'll be so the the money doesn't matter or the and I'm and I always am kind of like listen we need to make sure you're safe though mhm we we can't just throw things away and pretend like that portion of your life doesn't matter so one part of it is the safety but the next part of it is like you said your job does not have to be your purpose no right does not have to be but There is something about being engaged in a day, being engaged in a day's work in some way, shape, or form. And I'm very lucky. You're very, very lucky to do things that we that we enjoy. And I know that not everybody has that. But there's this, like, there's something to, like you said, use the word impact, even input to to give to just giving to the world in some way shape or form that i find useful so money is about safety but working is not is also about self esteem and impact and input and all of that
1: yeah i think um we tend to look at our careers as this to your point, not just a source of income, but a source of so much else. And yeah. if the so much else isn't there, yes, we can feel like we are misguided. We have to quit. We where you know we have this like career crisis. Mm. And I just say, don't put so much pressure on your job. Yeah. you know, your job is could just be that it could just be a job. And I think because culturally we have been fed this message that you need to pursue and profit from your passion. Yeah. Which is, which is toxic because yes. I'm sorry, some jobs are not passion fuel fueling yeah. and, but they're important and, to get done. Yes. And culturally too, we work so much that we reason, well, I should work somewhere that, I can source so much more than money from that. I can source happiness and gratitude and feeling of purpose and impact from because well, basically when I'm home, I just go to sleep and then I go back to work. So your work has to be this sort of all encompassing experience, but that's also, I I think uh, can be a very slippery slope that you can very easily feel like you're in the wrong place and that you made all, all, you start questioning all your life decisions, but you know, I mean, sometimes your job's just going to suck. And that's just what it is. But, you know, yes, if you can, great, if you can find something new and the transition is going to be easy, but sometimes it's really about a reframe and thinking like, okay, well this job, I'm grateful for the fact that like, I can do it. The paycheck comes every two weeks. I get benefits. I get some paid time off and then I can go and live the the other life that
0: I have. And it gives you an opportunity to practice some of the skills that you need for a burnout recovery. Like, so if you have paid time off and you're not taking it because you feel guilty, like that's not your job's fault. You know, like you've right. got to take that right. time. So it gives you the opportunity also to practice some boundaries and to do some other things that like learn. I always that this is why I tell people not to quit their jobs right away. Like, learn how to do these things as best as you can before mm-hmm. you leave and enter a new situation where you still haven't practiced these things and you're still who you are. Let's figure out how to, how to take the time off and not feel guilty, how to not ha- maybe take your email off your work phone, uh, off your home phone, take your work email off your home phone and uh, like your personal yeah. phone, I mean, and just don't look at it outside of hours. Like you can't, don't be mad at a boss for sending an email at 9 p.m. if you opened your fucking email at 9.30. Don't over right. email. People at treat you the way they let you treat you. Let them treat you, and that's definitely true at work. Yeah,
1: and um, you have to learn how to set boundaries. I applaud the leaders, uh, the corporate leaders who will take that leave of absence, who will yes. go on a vacation and be and say, "Hey, we're gonna, I'm not going to have my cell phone unless it's like an absolute emergency." That because that what that, that empowers their teams, you know, that just shows how much thing. trust they have in their colleagues and in their downline to say, hey, so and so is gone for a week, like we got this. Yeah, that's not just an example of how great of a leader she is because she has like sort of created this. She's set everybody up for team. success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it also empowers everybody to say like we can we can do this and
0: it'll be. The, the place is not going to burn down. Yeah. So you might need we, to be the person that models that behavior. So if no right. one's taking time off and you're like, I can't take time off because no one takes time off. Well, maybe you do it first. Yeah. <laughs> you, you model the behavior, you know? So there was a lot of things in there. <laughs> um, There's a lot yeah. of things in there, but I think I'm going to wrap up by saying, I agree with this. Your job can just be a job. I have I work with acupuncturists fairly frequently because I'm an, ac- I'm an acupuncturist myself. And when I tell them, when you see your patients, do the basics. Mm-hmm. Like, do the set of 10 points that we know is going to improve their health almost no matter what is going on. Like turn into a technician for a few months. You just do the basics and get it done, and they're like, "But I have to." No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Do the job, get the money, buy yourself the time and energy to figure out how to adjust the rest of things to so that they're better. But it's really okay for our job to just be a job. Yeah, amen to that. Amen to that. Farnoosh, thank you so much.
1: Thank you, and Every- everybody, listen to Kate on So Money. I'm getting so many wonderful reviews you your advice was as always was uh, just incredible and life changing
0: and pay attention to so money itself you can find Farnoosh everywhere all the instagrams and the linkedins and all the places she's there oh actually can we follow her on tiktok because she well
1: <laughs> yes and um, there's more to come on tiktok i haven't quite <laughs> figured out a strategy there but I, But we're working on it working
0: on it mm-hmm. working on it Farnoosh thank you so much Thank you. All right, Fried fans. Until next time. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Ain't gonna burn ourselves out no more. Got each other on our side. Plus all the folks at Fried, the burnout podcast with Kate Donovan.